Good afternoon. Bill Gustin here from from Miami-Dade Fire Rescue's World Headquarters, uh, just west of Miami International Airport in Doral, Florida. I'm here with uh, Daryl Liggins, old retired man, and uh, our friend from north of the border, Brent Brooks, Captain Mike D. Mike D. from Ladder Company 123. And then we've got an FDNY imposter here, uh, Captain Jimmy Davis from Engine Company 43 in Chicago. So I want to start off by uh, giving a shout out to our friends at Keyhose. That's keyhose.com. I say it every month, take the key challenge. Right now that Keyhose is being dragged around our drill ground by recruits. You want to see Check the durability of a piece of equipment. Give it to a recruit class because it'll get plenty of use. And then it lays out there in that hot sun and that ultraviolet light. Uh, we don't baby our hose. We can't. So um, I also want to make, make mention of uh, we lost a, another fire service giant uh, just recently. Uh, I think it was last weekend. And that's Paul Shapiro. One of the nicest and one of the smartest guys, especially when it has to do with water supply and pump operations. On a personal note, my department had a bad habit of just dropping off equipment without any direction. Show up at the firehouse one day and there's a thousand feet of five inch hose and a couple of manifolds. And I was tasked with teaching the department large diameter hose. Everything that I found came from Paul Shapiro. I plagiarized everything that guy wrote. Uh, our SOPs for large diameter hose was just word for word from Paul. Paul was not afraid to try new things. The portable master stream devices that we use today with a single two and a half inch inlet are the brainchild of Paul Shapiro. Most of our big water evolutions are the brainchild of Paul Shapiro. Paul also did charity work, understand teaching in South America. He definitely was not in it for the money. Uh, his latest publication was, uh, I believe it was Water Supply. It's a fire engineering book and video. I highly recommend if you haven't seen it, uh, it should be in your fire station or fire department library or in your own personal possession. Um, heck of a nice guy and a true gentleman. Oh, and he, he was also very nice to my daughter. Uh, when my daughter lived in the Las Vegas area, uh, Clark's not with us today, Clark Lamping. Uh, my my daughter and Paul were, were friends, and um, he was a true gentleman. So um, if you've never read anything about Paul, uh, any of his work, uh, it bears looking at. Like I say, he was not afraid to put some hose on the ground and try new things. 
So, um, Daryl, can you I'll introduce yourself thing. a little bit? And then uh, just whatever's on your mind there, brother. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I, I'm, uh, I met Paul a, a few years ago uh, in Vegas when they were tearing down a, uh, a hotel. And um, I got, got invited to help uh, do a class there. And I thought I was doing something with a few lengths of hose in the bed of my pickup truck. But you look at his pickup truck. He had a, uh, a deck a gun mounted in the bed of the truck. <laughs> so... Um, he was he was dedicated uh, till the end, and fortunately, you know, he left uh, many articles and a book um, for us to still pass on knowledge. And I don't think a lot of that water flow um, lessons caught on in in classes because it's very logistically difficult to have, you know, a number of engines and miles of five inch hose out, but. It's tremendously important to maximize your 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 water supply. So, um, you know, in honor of him uh, and to better our profession, yeah, look up look up what he he left us because uh, he was he was dedicated and it's important stuff. And um, is this our first hangout since FDIC? Yes, it is. I think it is. So one thing that was was great is so many people came up to me and I'm sure you guys as well and saying, Hey, I really like the, the hangout. And they said positive things about it. Uh, a lot of people are watching this more. So one thing I would say is if you do like this, you know, you can like the video, you could subscribe to the channel. You can share this with a friend. If you think this is worthwhile, you know, leave a comment and let us know, but yep. Like subscribe, share. And I think, uh, We'll get this message out to to other people. And can I just add right, on Darryl, to that, so Darren? Can I just add on to that, Bill? If there's something you, the listeners, the viewers, want us to talk about, send it to us, and we will try to get it on. Maybe not next month. Maybe not the following month. But if there's something you think the fire service needs to uh, address, let us know, and we'll look those things up. Yeah, that, that and and it doesn't have to be uh, like today. I, I have a a loosely arranged discussion on investigating odors, but also current events, man. Uh, like for instance, Paul's passing. Uh, Jimmy Davis from Chicago is going to tell us about a, a recent high rise fire they had. Brent is deeply involved in uh, actually teaching volunteer work, teaching other departments. And I would be interested, as I know that you would be, in where where his paths have taken him recently. So, um, Daryl, uh, good luck on your retirement. And uh, is it Chief Brooks now officially, sir? No, I just acting, acting district chief. I need 33 years on the job to become a full chief. So I only got 30 or 29 years on now. So I got, I got some work to do. I see. I see. Uh, can you tell a little bit about what you've been doing up there in a Toronto area? You know, I've been going out to, I think I'm at 46 different fire departments right now, uh, all across Canada. And it's, it's the big hose. It's the large, large diameter water um, and moving lines, using ergonomics, using science. Uh, I've been weighing all their equipment. So I weigh their first aid equipment. I weigh their hose and nozzle packages. And, uh, and, I, and I see 
what they're trying to accomplish and if it's even possible economically. And then I've been studying even past fires in Toronto way back to 1995 with forced laneway, six occupants died in the stairwell. And I've been looking at the weights and, and I've been trying to you know, do some research into how to make high-rise firefighting better. Uh, and I'm sharing that information. If I don't get out and volunteer my time, I'm never going to learn from stories from other firefighters that don't have the same um, way of sharing it like I do. So every fire department, the 46 that I've gone to, I learned something from them. They learned something from me. And together, group, we will make tomorrow's best known practices. So I just love what I'm doing. And it's like it's like free education for me. So that's what that's why I do it. Brent, Brent, I want to give a shout out to my my new friends, Jersey City. I had about an hour and a half Zoom meeting with them. They had some questions on some standpipe uh, systems. Uh, I learned more from them than they, they learned from me. And they are squared away and their heads and hearts are into the jobs. Um, I don't have the names right in front of me, but uh, what a great bunch of guys dedicated guys, sharp guys. I think the citizens of Jersey City are in pretty good hands. Um, Captain Mike. Yes, sir. And um, I think you, you, you know some people on Jersey. I mean, I knew Bill Peters. Billy Peters. Jersey City and, and Chief Turpec. Mike Turpec. And, and the guys... And the guys that I just met, if that's representative of, of, of your Jersey City firefighters, they've got some squared away guys on that job. Well, wasn't Dr. Dennis O'Neill a Jersey City fireman also? That I don't know. I think so. I'm pretty sure Dennis was in Jersey well, City. Um, Dr. Dennis O'Neill, I'm pretty sure he was a Jersey City because I remember him telling me at a Jersey seminar one time, that his favorite job in the fire service was a truck captain in Jersey City. Okay. Yep. So they've got a proud tradition. Oh, and great guys, great department. They just um they're just amazing. Uh, a lot of good people have come out of there. And Peter had just confirmed that yes, Dennis O'Neill was a Jersey City fireman and he became the you know okay. the, the fire administrator. It's a great department, history, tradition, but it's every department can be like that, Bill. If the men and women are dedicated to their job, to their department, I don't care if you're a small volunteer community up where Brent is up in Canada, outside of Toronto, you're a small, you can still be a great department. It's the dedication, the brotherhood. And like we do, when you go out teaching, you are also open to learning. We are all students of the game. Look at this panel. We are students of the game. And this is what this game, as some people have said, uh, Patty Brown notably, you can never train enough for a job that might kill you. And you can also do everything right and still get hurt and killed at this job. So you've got to be a student of this game and be willing to go out there and teach, give them of yourself, but also and learn. Because anyone who thinks they're the smartest guy in the room is a fool. Because there's always somebody brighter in every subject I've ever known than me in every room I've ever been in. Yeah, you're so you're so right. I think anybody listening right now is, you know, probably already pretty dedicated and passionate about this uh, this job. And um, you know, Bill was saying I, I had my last day at work uh, last Friday, and the 
the chief was kind enough to give me the microphone because it was at a, a, a graduation ceremony. Um, and I was saying, uh, I think people being passionate is, is one of the greatest things you can have as a firefighter. That's not something, not everybody has the same flame of passion for this job, but when people are listening to things like this, they certainly are. Uh, I don't think anybody ever quite feels ready to teach. I, I think when I started doing some classes, it just felt like I was just in it to learn and there's, there's plenty to learn. We never know anything, but every time you do a class, you walk away with, with, with some more knowledge, especially just being interactive with students from so many different types of departments and different types of responses and staffing and rig uh, setups. It's, it, it just sometimes reinforces what you do is the right thing to do, or it may open the door that maybe there's things to be modified, but um, yeah, well, thank you. Darryl, your class at FDIC, I took an entire page of notes and your, one of your themes or messages was keep things simple. Maybe too many options are not a good thing. Keep your hose load configurations basic and don't have a wide variety. Uh, deployment techniques, uh, keep them narrowly focused. Uh, and also you began your class by saying we stretch lines in series, not parallel. And I see that as a common mistake that my department does, and they end up with a big mess of hose in a small front yard bordered by a fence and a fire building. So, um, and then Jimmy, you hit it out of the park, man. You hit it out of the park. And, and I think a great testament to how good you were, Jimmy, is that it was a Friday, the last day, the exhibition hall was open and you still had a packed auditorium. And I think that says, it says a lot about uh, you and your department and your preparation and your expertise when it comes to high rise. And um, we are each other's students. I've been a captain, a student of Captain Mike before I became his friend. Uh, I've attended his classes for years and read his articles. And we are each other's students and we bring each other up. And uh, it's, it's a great feeling. And I wish if you had the passion, it's going to bring you a lot of joy and satisfaction to this job that you might not have otherwise. So, Jimmy, what's been going on with you, my brother, brother, my brother, my brother? Hey, guys. Great time at FDIC and thanks, Cap, for what you said. And, and Daryl, I know I said in your class too, it was absolutely outstanding. Um, and I like the way, like Captain Gustin said, to keep things simple, all right? Go with hold finishes or loads that you know, um, but practice on them. And that's the key. You know, there's so many different finishes and the types of loads. And especially with social media and being inundated with so many different varieties, keep one that works for your department. And then the key to that is practice the heck out of it. Practice the stretch. That's how you get good, you know. Um, so that really resonated in me too. Uh, keep the options, you know, at a minimal and, and just be effective. And effectiveness can only 
unless we know of another way, can only be done through training and then knowledge and awareness and, you know, tack on all that with the experience. Uh, you got a pretty well-rounded product at the end and something to be proud of. You know, it, it's, I, I wanted to sit in Captain Mike's workshop, uh, but I was, I was committed to doing this opening uh, webcast because from live from FDIC, which was a success. And uh, I had Jack Murphy, who is such an easy guy to talk to and such a wealth of knowledge and such a gentleman. Otherwise, I would have been sitting in your class there, Captain Mike. And um, uh, it's it seems like every year you and I, Captain Mike, are in scheduled at the same time. I almost wish some of the classes could be repeated. That's just me thinking out loud. Uh, I know it would cut down on the variety, but some of them are so good. You know, because one of these days we're going to get a Brent Brooks and a Jimmy Davis and a Clark Lamping all together at the same time. Now, what, whose class? But what I do say and for our, our viewers, if you're coming in a group from your same department, don't go to the same classes. Everybody go to different classes. And at the end of the day, over an adult beverage, relate what you learned in the class so we can learn from each other. Uh, Bill, I can't agree more. I see guys and girls at FDIC all the time from the same department sitting in the same class because they're not comfortable going on their own, go on your own, leave your comfort zone, get into that place. And now you've got to go back and talk about that class. It's the start towards teaching like Daryl and Jimmy were talking about and Brent. It's your start. Go out there and tell your brothers and sisters what you have learned in this class. This guy, Daryl Liggins was amazing. Jimmy Davis, this one. Oh yeah, but you know what? They're kind of on the same path here. We get these things the same. Whatever is going on, it's so important that you make the most out of this, out of your department's money. Because FDIC is to help your department get better. And if you don't get as much information from different sources to see what works for you and what doesn't, what goes together and what doesn't, it is, it is, you're not doing your department the right service. Now, on one more thing I'm gonna say just because I gotta do a shameless plug. Um, we were talking about what's going on. Uh, fire engineering is getting this money's worth out of me today because tonight at 7.30, I am doing a radio show with Mike Galliano, the Mikey G and the Mikey D show. But we have one of my mentors, one of the guys who helped me in my career, got my first article published, Vinnie Dunn talking oh, about his 42-year career in the FDMY. He started in the FDMY when I was trying to learn how to not pee in my diapers, okay? In 1957, I was less than two years old when he started. And he went through all of these ranks, rose up the ranks fast, and just a great guy. And so, listen, we were talking about education but also about making your department better. And that goes to mentorship and leadership and help those people below you be better and working together and all of these things together. Vinnie Dunn is one of my all-time heroes and I love this man. 
and I have his personal cell phone number. I can talk to him anytime. That's the kind of person you want to be in your firehouse, in your fire company, and in your fire department. And I just had to give a plug for it. Thank you. Well, uh, can you give us the information on how we can tune into this now, Mike? Uh, I think Peter will put it in the uh, the links that we have on this today, but it's on the Blog Talk Radio for Fire Engineering Blog Talk Radio, and Peter will do what okay. he just said. So okay. uh, he'll link it up so you can come uh, listen to Chief Dunn talk about his amazing career. I had a conversation with Chief Mike Gala. You familiar with him, Mike? Okay, a true gentleman, true gentleman. He lives next door to a retired, well, a guy that was laid off in the 70s on the FDNY and came down to Miami-Dade, Joe O'Sullivan. In fact, Joe O'Sullivan spent several hours in the bucket of Tower Ladder 1 at the New York Telephone Exchange fire. So the, the fact that he's still alive because of the amount of deaths from that burning PVC insulation, but Chief Gala and I agree on one thing. Uh, I think the next Vidi Dunn, the next John Norman is going to be Frank Lieb. He is a true gentleman, a humble guy who will get back and answer your emails, answer your phone calls brilliant in the spoken and in the written word and i'm very proud to call him a friend and um watch this guy because he is he is a rising star he's already there he's already there but i he's he's still a relatively young man well everybody's young compared to me and you captain mike jimmy jimmy tell us about the high rise i'm not I'm not privy to this. You've been burning up high rises in Chicago, bro. Yeah, it's been a busy, busy year overall for high rises. Um, and I know we had this conversation, you know, before is that you deal with defect type of buildings or pre-1975 buildings. That seems to be the common theme of what's going on with our, our latest high rise. They're already difficult right from the get-go. Um, so this one in particular uh, of interest uh, happened a couple days ago. Uh, I know that there's some video footage on YouTube. If you Google uh, South South Shore High Rise Fire, you'll be able to see some of the videos that were taken uh, from the Citizens app and, and just people watching the fire and they, and they put this on YouTube to watch. But the one thing that I, I wanted to really stress on that and, and, and something that we do encourage and teach is using your first strike weapon. First strike weapon at this fire was a fire on the 10th floor blow, uh, blowing out pretty square out of the out of the windows. Uh, I want to give a huge kudos to uh, the guys here but also in specific and it was 126 uh, that went ahead and, and utilized their deck gun uh, applied exterior water and I tell you what after that, uh, that was it. The, the companies went up there and cleaned up. Uh, again, uh, I think without that, and what Brent said is that the exorbitant amount of time for reflux. 
even a fire in the 10th floor is going to take you some time. You got auto exposure going to floor 11. Um, I could not be any prouder than my guys. And again, it's something that you should be encouraging. If you have the shot, take the shot. I think I learned that line in a movie. You got the shot? Yes, I got it. You got a line of sight and you're capable of reaching. Give it a shot. You have nothing to lose. Yep. Hey, Jimmy, uh, do those companies require having a water supply first or do they operate that deck gun off a of tank water to give it a quick quick blast off tank water and then get a water supply? Yeah, Daryl, answer that it's quick water. They're going to go right off of tank water. They got 500 gallons of really, really good Chicago water on that rig. You know, Chicago water goes pretty far. Yeah, yeah you know, it comes from Lake Michigan. Yes. I've heard so many people over the years that um, sometimes think or, or have sold themselves, I think, a little short that they will not operate a deck gun or not operate a large hand line without an established continuous water supply. But we have a tank of water. I think the important thing is that you just have compressed the amount of time that you can operate that. So maybe you can operate an inch and three quarter for you know, a, a couple of minutes, but a deck gun is going to be, you know, a few, a few, uh, you know, seconds or so. What do you guys operate that with off a tank 15 seconds or so? Yeah, Daryl, in your response, it's about, you're, you're not camping out there and setting up a camp, you know, you're there to give it a 10 to 15 second, no more than 30 second blast of exterior, good water, rapid water on the fire. Sometimes the best water is going to be the fastest water. And what better way that it is applied from an exterior stream or by that deck gun? So hey guys, think running water. out of tank water is not the end of the world. We're not fighting a class B flammable liquid fire where you have to completely put it out or it'll burn off your foam layer. It's a class A fire. You're going you're gonna to knock the wind out of it. You know, knock the wind out of its sails and reset it. Jimmy, could you elaborate? You, you've sent me quite a few of your, I think you call them runouts. How you incorporate the deck gun with a two and a half story frame, where if I recall, you pull up in front, drop your deck gun, pull ahead a few feet, pull off your hose, and then lead out. Can you can you describe what the purpose is and, and how that works? It's one of our commonplace drills that we do. And if you can just picture this in your head, the first engine arrives, they're on side alpha in front of this with a really good direct line of sight. They're gonna hit it with that deck on, again, 10 to 15 seconds. But remember simultaneously, two, two of them, two and a half are being let out, all right, to cover the exposures. So we're gonna come down and, 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 and crimp down uh, on this fire with the exterior lines and utilization of the deck gun. Once that occurs, we'll go ahead and we'll, we'll seek a water source. Uh, then we're gonna leave room for the, the, the truck to, to have a better scrub to perhaps the original fire building or any exposure uh, buildings most threatened. And that's something you need to, to determine. Uh, this is something that gets played out in Chicago probably pretty much every day. Uh, in using this. And, you know, the reason for these drills, again, they just keep you sharp. You got to be sharp, even a lion hunts all the time, just to stay fresh and, and, and keep its skills up. 
Um, yeah. And we try to do the same. So the effectiveness of, of quick water cannot be overstated. Yep. And hey, very honestly, those people who are worried about that tank in that lion hunt, if you have one bullet in your gun and you're going to wait for another clip before you attack that lion that's charging you, you're dead. So why wouldn't you do it? If you're in a firefight and you only have two bullets, you're going to use them before you reload. Okay, why wouldn't you do it? I don't understand this ridiculous nonsense about not putting water on the fire. Now I can, I am going, we're going to say hello to Key again and uh, Dave Hibben and uh, Mike, um, Mark Light, Light, uh, Light Light from Key. They stand behind their product. And uh, take the key challenge. I say it every 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 month. Try to kink key hose, and we're talking high rise now. Uh, and you got to have a hose that is kink resistant, because you're going to be stretching it in areas that it may be in an apartment. Uh, it may be one of those buildings where you only got one apartment per floor. One of these pencil looking buildings, or you can have that same thing. It's a big building, but you have crossover floors. So for, for exclusivity, you take your elevator up, you're looking at three apartment doors. That's all you got. Where are you going to put the hose? So, um, and you know, we can, we talk a lot about how much hose you want to lay in the stairs. And uh, that's one of those um, discussions that, Maybe it works for your department. Maybe it doesn't work for my department. Maybe we've had different experiences. Um, but uh, if I could, I want to bring up the odors for a minute because we we had a rude awakening here. Uh, we sent a company single single engine response to a odor of smoke. Guys couldn't find anything, but they determined smells like electrical. All right, we're not electricians. Uh, shut all the breakers off. I'm gonna duly note in my report that um, you are not to turn these breakers back on until your home is checked by a licensed electrician. The next day it's through the roof. And uh, they put the breakers back on. And it was a typical, typical electrical fire, guys. Two points of origin, which is so common with an electrical fire. Then the power company advised the incident commander that the power was off. And Captain Mike, a guy pulling a wire lath and plaster ceiling with an all steel New York hook determined otherwise. And it's happened before. You gotta verify, man. That electricity could be, you could completely cut the electric service completely. Pull the meter, cut the wires. And that electricity could be coming in on your water pipe, your gas pipe, your, your telephone wire, your cable TV cable electricity wants to complete a circuit 
and ultimately go back to ground via the transformer where it originated. And if it can't find that path because there's something wrong with that neutral, it's going to find another way. And if you happen to be a firefighter with a steel roof hook pulling a wire lath and plaster ceiling, you are going to be in the direct path to ground. Well, it uh, it, it got his attention there, Captain Mike. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Listen, there are so many things we could talk about this. But the first one, just because I've experienced this personally, we had a fire in a piece of machinery when I was up in the Bronx and we shut off the entire building. And then we went to work on the machinery and one of my guys got blown across the floor. It turned out the son of a gun was stealing the electricity for the machine from his neighbor. He was stealing power and had the all oh, the fight that broke out. It was it was typical Bronx, but it was great. But so possible for this to happen. The other thing that happened to me as a fireman up in Spanish Harlem is we were at a vacant building, a rainy, misty, damp night. And we're in this vacant building and I'm going from the fire escape to a portable ladder. And I start the circuit and I'm shaking. There's stealing power from a light pole and it's wrapped around the fire, uh, the fire escape. So it creates the, I'm on the fire escape. I touch that ladder. Thank God a guy on the ground saw what was going on and kicked the ladder out. And that stopped it. But I was like, holy crap. I was completing the circuit to the ladder. Electricity scares the hell out of me. You can't see it, you can't smell it, and when you feel it, it might be too late, okay? Not a good thing to be playing with. So, electricity's first, okay? Be aware of electricity, be aware of what people tell you. The other thing is the odor of smokes. I can't tell you how many times I've been on odor of smokes where the things have happened. We were in one woman's house and we could smell it. We could smell it. We ended up having to tear walls down with the, the, the thermal imaging camera. We were looking for this and it turned out to be a bad electrician with a hidden box inside the wall. And they blew in insulation in this place and it was all over. And another one that I went to as a captain of 123 truck, we went for an odor of smoke. And the guy said, yeah, I keep on smelling smoke. And I'm like, yeah, I know. I don't see it. I'm looking with the thermal imaging camera up at the ceiling. Don't see anything. And the guy says, well, come here. And I hear the chief on the radio. Okay, 1018 for a 33, an odor. And I'm like, hang on a second, chief. And the guy goes, come here, outside. And he goes, and he says, look. And there's the vent into the cock loft, the, water, the, the air vent, so it doesn't heat up and... Yeah, yeah. Once in a while, it puffs, and I'm like, "Son of a bitch!" There's a job up here. My my chauffeur was brilliant. He says, "Let me get your tech and go up on the roof." And he went up on the roof, and now he's looking through the roof because the blown in insulation is up in the top. And he says, "Okay, it's in the apartment you're in. It's about 35 feet that way." And he goes on a straight line, right and Okay, now we got it. And well, it ended up going to a third alarm. One of the companies we knew when they 
were responding. They were coming down the block. They said there were flames above the roof about 35, 40 feet because it was blown in insulation. And it was the first time that I had ever seen the insulation on the top floor. All it was was aluminum foil on brown paper to just reflect the heat back. There was no R value in it. It was just a reflective insulation. And then they blew in insulation on top of it and they didn't box out for around the light fixtures. And we had this stuff, it was a third alarm. It was unbelievable. We had fire everywhere you wanna go. And the chief, who is a friend of mine, who wanted to leave on a, a one engine, one truck for an order of smoke, was like, thank you, thank you, thank you. It would have cost, he would have been in deep trouble, okay? Listen, until we know exactly what this is, we gotta keep searching. We gotta keep searching. One other one that I went on, which was hysterical, we chased it for about two and a half hours, was a fan motor on an elevator. It's on the fifth floor. I smell it good on the fifth floor. The elevator moved. I'm smelling it on the second floor. I'm smelling it on the fifth floor. I'm smelling it on the eighth floor. It was the fan motor in the elevator. Okay. And it was always Jesus. wherever the elevator was, it was on the floor above because the fan was burning up on the roof. You're going to chase these things around for a long time, and it's going to be a pain in the ass. But you have to do your due diligence. Jimmy, Jimmy, we talked about this at FDIC. It's so simple, but yet it's so brilliant. You want to talk about how you use your hand light? Yeah, over the years, you pick up tricks and trades from some outstanding firemen. Uh, you know, one of the things that I've learned, and it's been successful for, for me, is that when you have people that are smelling smoke uh, in their unit or in, in a particular room, uh, instead of leaving the lights on, shut the lights off, dim the shades, and turn on your flashlight. Your flashlight is going to hit on those little wisps of smoke that you will never and not see with the lights on. It's been so many times where I've seen just those little wisps in the dark room caught with the flashlight from an outlet or a smoldering flower pot uh, in somebody's unit. Um, and another thing to add with that is isolate rooms and closed doors, especially on a, in order. Try to isolate it, go in rooms. Uh, eventually you're gonna have a greater smell. Not only that, you know, through a matter of time, to bring up you become desensitized to those smells you know so for five minutes it's like yeah i smelled it now all of a sudden i can't smell anything anymore so isolate turn the lights off use a flashlight and then also that, that thermal imager comes in handy too to pick up any hot spots and, and uh, you know what else we used to do also jimmy is keep yes. some of the team out in the hallway when you say isolate, because if you got all four, three or four men in the apartment, they're all smelling the same thing. Isolate a couple of them out in the hallway and then bring them in. Okay, what do you guys got? Oh, that's the room right there. It's, it's you know, I went into all these rooms, Cap. It's in this room here. Okay, now I'm going to spend more time there. And Cap, uh, and, and also what we do is, it, you know, on an older investigation, a lot of us all come in. Uh, it would be advisable to have somebody walk the perimeter, if able, to make sure it's something that's not burning outside. Uh, how many times I've had those mulch piles burning? They have their window open. 
and they're smelling it inside their unit or their house. Uh, that's another great idea. Walk the perimeter, you might come across something as well. And when you walk that perimeter, bring your flashlight and look up at the eaves and at the roof structure of the building. However, if it's a flat roof or a peak roof, and look for those roof vents to see if it's pushing from somewhere out there. And, and, and Captain Mike, it's almost like it's breathing. Like it finds some oxygen and it, it, the temperature increases, the pressure increases and it puffs some smoke and then it stops. Um, guys, these garden apartments, these wood frame garden apartments that have the 13R residential sprinkler systems. Every day in this country, we burn down a complex somewhere in the United States, and I'm sure in Canada as well, and in a so-called sprinkler building because they're 13R residential sprinklers, and there's no sprinklers in between the ceiling and the floors that are supported by lightweight engineered wood floor trusses. And guys, it is the kind of fire you can go to and the only indication you have is a smell of smoke and two hours later, the building is on the ground because it has run the floors, it is up in the attic and you might not have any indication like Captain Mike says, look more than once because you may have to just catch it at the right time that it just puffs a little bit of smoke. And very Brent, you got a good, you got a good odor story for us, uh, Brent. I uh, do. I one do. One more thing. All right. Um, just yeah. one more thing, because when I said the flashlight going around the building, and I don't want to cut Brent off. Also, if you have an extra thermal imaging camera, have that guy or girl walk the exterior and the roof with that thermal imaging camera. Good. Good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, I'm going to talk about high rise and uh, I got a, it was that shift change and this crew said, listen, you're going to be going to this address. We keep getting calls there. It's a smell that I've never smelled before. We don't know what it is. And and then we, and we're there for a couple uh, you know, hours. We leave because it's gone. And then we get a call back and then we can't call back. We investigate. We just can't find it. And he goes, you're going to get a call on it, guaranteed. So sure enough, we get a call on it. We go there and I go, yeah, this is a very odd smell. And what it ended up being was the, um, um, uh, older nasor for the garbage chute. And I've never ran into this before. I've never seen this before. And what I didn't know about the modern day garbage chute is you can go recycling or you can go garbage, but the chutes now will actually lock between a certain time. So at 10 o'clock at night, they lock and they reopen again at six o'clock in the morning. So what was happening? This is, this is like a long investigation trying to figure out where these odors are coming from is with the top floor, there's a hatch and I open up a roof hatch and there's a jug just like we see when we wash our bunker gear, it had a little pump in it and it was putting this odor um, into this shaft. And we couldn't figure out why the odor is getting dispersed through the building. So being the type of person I am, I said, hey, can we get up on the roof and have a look and see where this um, um, garbage chute ends up? We go up on the roof and there's the housing and I look in the housing, it's completely plugged. I take the housing off and all the lightweight Amazon packaging, the stuff that has air in it, because of stack effect, and when they're pouring it down the garbage chute, it all comes up, and it all got filled in the stack. So now that that stack effect that's supposed to work to clear the fumes out was all stacked by that lightweight, uh, you know, really grimy type bubble fabric wrap. stuff. Yeah, is that what it's called? Yeah. 
bubble wrap, and, yeah. And to stop the garbage chute from working properly, which caused the otters, odors to go through the building. So now if you ever get that garbage chute type odor, go to the roof and see if you have that lightweight stuff plugged in it. And that's exactly what it had. Daryl, you have anything for us? You yeah, you know, when you first put out uh, odors, I'm like, uh, I'm trying to think back to stories of, of odors because a lot of times these turn out to be, uh, you know, time, type of fake calls. And um, uh, I was thinking about this time I was in a house that uh, was a report of odor of smoke and we can, we can smell smoke and we're checking the attic and the, you know, the basement and all the typical things. But what, what saved us was that thermal imager. We get the thermal imager and there's a potted plant in the corner and the pot is hot. It is showing very hot, but we don't see any smoke. And maybe if we tried uh, Jimmy's trick this I'm I'm certain it would have showed those whiffs of smoke. But what happened is the owner was sticking their incense into the soil and lighting it. And this potted plant had dead roots and it ended up, uh, you know, catching the, the rooting system on fire. So the uh, member of the of the truck grabbed the uh, potted plant to take it outside and even through his gloves, it was getting so hot, he gets outside and ends up dropping it. It breaks the pot open and it burst into flames. And it was like, whoa, what, what is going on? But uh, we, we, we found it, but I'm going to um, uh, digress a little bit. I took my kids to Manhattan for spring break at the beginning of this month. And the odors were similar to Oakland. A lot of <laughs> marijuana smell. I thought Oakland had a lot of marijuana. Boy, Manhattan, Midtown, and Times Square. There's nothing like it. I'm sure they're getting lots of odor investigations out there. And are you sure those aren't skunks getting in, in the building? <laughs> you can see the smoke. It's oh. visible. But another thing, um, our city has a lot of uh, lath and plaster. So typically after rains, we can get all these odd electrical uh, issues. Um, most recently, we had some flashing that was very hot to the touch and that got electrified. Um, I think back to another time we went to a, what New York would call a bodega. We just call it the corner store. And um yeah, the tick showed a wall that was warm. You, you take off your glove and it was hot to the touch and the the wire a, attached to the lath somehow, I, I don't know how, but it got electrified and was smoldering the lath. So, you know, you had to move all the stock and bust open the wall and, you know, it, it saved the place, but, you know, kind of wrecked the place. Let, uh, let me ask you something, Daryl. There was a char, correct? Oh, was, there was char, yes. Was the char deeper than what you anticipated? Where I'm going with this is pyrophoric carbonization. Yes, it was. Where you've been cooking and cooking this wood until you turn it into charcoal. And, and when you have a combination of an open neutral, errant, fugitive electricity and a bad ground, and by the way, I had an investigator tell me 
don't ever be specific on that because you're going to go to court someday and they're going to say, Captain Dugan, in what institution of higher learning did you earn your degree in electrical engineering? So be intentionally vague, non-specific electrical short. But Daryl, that is so common that you open up a wall and the char is, this can't possibly be. It's because it's been cooking and cooking for a long time. Was this wire lath, Daryl? Yeah, it was wire lath. And the other thing that's helpful is, you know, bring all the tools. Um, I'm a big proponent of not just bringing in the tick, but also the CO, uh, the CO monitor. Um, you can call out your hazmat team or electrical company, gas company. You want to get get as much help there as as you can, so everybody can get it figured out. Because uh, obviously something is going on. Oh, I had a funny one. We we go into a building uh, for an odor of smoke and the. Uh, Firefighters disperse throughout the building and she's on the phone with her other coworkers. And it's like, yeah, they smell it on the fifth floor. They smell it in the basement. They're smelling it all over. And then she grabs my coat and she's like, wait, it, it's you guys. <laughs> it's like, yeah, our coats are smelling a bit like smoke. But um, one real common one for us is the the belt in the HVAC system that blows that. I'm sure all of us on here and most people listening have had that. And um, as Captain Mike said, uh, sometimes that HVAC system is in the backyard. Once we, you know, kind of failed to get to the backyard for a while, we looked on the roof where we're in basement where we're thinking this HVAC system is going to be, but it was in the rear yard. And yeah, those belts burn up and it blows smoke through the building. And um, uh, the, uh, fluorescent light ballast, you know, that always smells like an actual structure fire that you, you want to tick from, but, um, yeah, they're, they're frustrating, uh, calls, you know, for sure. Can I Daryl? Go ahead, Jim. Yeah. Really quick is a safety note. If you get any fire, all right, or smoke, and it's involving the furnace unit in the A coil and the fern, uh, the freon. All right, is heated up or on fire? Please wear your SCBA and be on air. Uh, if you don't, you're going to be going to the hospital. You'll Bosgene be, you'll be coughing for two weeks. Correct. It is halogenated, halogenated acid gases such as hydrofluoric acid yes it is um even the old halon if it got in contact with a hot metal surface would thermally de decompose into phosgene gas it's no joke um and we investigated the smell of smoke and folks had just there's these two big, large trash bags. And we're smelling this, and it's a plasticky kind of smoke, but smell, but we can't find. We finally opened up the trash bag. Cotton towels and bedding. If you put them in a hot, hot dryer and then stack them, because we've had the same thing in linen storage. In, in healthcare facilities where you take these, they have an industrial dryer and they 
fold these things up and pack them and they will spontaneously combust. And um, it's, it's, it's something, you know, ask the homeowner, have you done any work, anything? Have your lights been dimming? You know, how long has this been going on? Uh, do you ever feel a shock when you touch um, uh, a water pipe? Yeah. Even something as simple as putting a nail in a wall to hang a picture is enough to, to puncture a, uh, an electric wire and uh, start yourself uh, an odor. And, and, and um, the, the comment about bring all your tools in, I got a friend of mine that's a battalion chief that followed a company in on a, uh, uh, he held all the companies except himself. The battalion chief wanted to go in there because it came in as smoke in the attic. When he walked in, the house was clear as a bell, but his CO detector went off on his radio strap. And it was the dreaded cellulose blown in insulation that Captain Mike was alluding to. And it was carbon dioxide. And it is a, uh, a product of incomplete smoldering combustion. Clear as a bell, but you had carbon monoxide. So Here, that's a, one. A, it's a good point. Here's one I remember where I'm really glad we, we had SCBA on. We got called in the middle of the night to a warehouse. Uh, they were uh, taking the warehouse from, from one type of business to another, and the warehouse was empty, and a worker arrived. Uh, I think he's a, a plumber or something like that, but when he opened the door, the warehouse is full of uh, white smoke. So we get called for a smoke investigation engine and truck and um so we we bottle up and we go to the warehouse and uh we can see well enough to kind of just make our way through the through the business but i wanted scba on and uh the, it's just a empty concrete floor there's nothing in this place at all there's a couple of buckets of paint for some painting they're doing we make our way into the bathrooms there's nothing in there there's no trash cans we go all through the warehouse it's just a mystery of what is there's there's no heat on the thermal imaging camera there's no reading on the co monitor um so we end up leaving there it's just kind of a mystery of what happened but just fast forward when we get a hold of the bu building owner it had just been fogged for a uh whatever the bug fogger that they have a truck back up to the roll up door. It fills this place with this bug fog. They're supposed to label it and, you know, do not enter or whatever. None of that was done. I was pretty upset and had a conversation with that business owner later. Um, but yeah, we would have just been breathing in some type of poison as we're investigating this for, you know, a long period of time to try to get to the bottom of it. And um, you could have easily been caught in the trap of not wearing your SCBA because conditions are light. And if we actually have a job, then we'll, we'll mask up. But I was really glad I didn't, uh, subject myself or, or my crew to, you know, breathing that stuff in. That's, That's big in New York city. It's called thermal insecticidal fogging. And what it is for is bed bugs, but they go in with a smoke machine like they use for Hollywood or we've used for training. 
and they heat the insecticide up to get it everywhere. And it's made, a lot of it is for bed bugs. And I don't know what the factory was, but a lot of this stuff is for bed bugs and roaches and stuff like that. But they heat this stuff up and they thermalize it. And it, it looks like a fog. And it looks like an odorous, it's a smoke. And you don't know what it is. If you're not wearing your gear, you're breathing that stuff in. And it's now, it's in a vapor form. As it goes in your lungs, it recongeals into the oil that it was coach your lungs and can do incredible damage to your lungs. So be aware of that stuff. If, you know, it looks like crap and smells like crap, you don't want to taste it. Yep. Yep. Um, these are great lessons learned. Uh, have you ever, uh, any of you fellas ever had a component of a burglar alarm, um, system in a say a jewelry store that part of the alarm is that it turns on a smoke machine uh we had that in, at a neiman marcus uh at a very high-end place not not a place that i would be shopping in but um <laughs> uh, i might be the yeah janitor there but uh a neiman marcus at a uh very ritzy place and it was a deterrent for burglars that um if they broke in that this place would start to fill with smoke um have you ever heard about anything like that jimmy on the miracle mile no that's news to me it, it just what is it regular smoke yeah, it's like a smoke machine smoke really no i i have not seen it i'm sure there's something out there yeah, we, uh, we, but i'm not aware of it we, uh, we have them here, and what they do is the uh, smoke emits, and then they have a strobe light that goes off. So it's, the room is filled with smoke, and then the strobe light goes off, and you cannot walk. You cannot move. So it's smoke and strobe. Um, they're um, now made illegal here um, just because we can't, we can't maneuver within those buildings. You just cannot see. It, it works. It's very effective, though. Yep. Hey, we're just about at the end. I want to... Thank our good friends at Keyhose. That's keyhose.com. Uh, remember to like us on Facebook. Did I get that right, Daryl? Not that I'm much like, of a Facebook guy. Like, subscribe, and share. All right, all right. You sound <laughs> like a millennial, Dale. Daryl? Oh, all I right. just watch too much YouTube, so you hear it over and over. Yeah, yeah. And I'm gonna well, I'm gonna regress real quick before we move on. And yeah, get back ahead. to this deck gun because I don't want somebody commenting that this doesn't work off the tank. All right. So we just gave everybody a drill. Flow your inch and three quarter line off the tank and see how long you could flow it. Then flow uh, your larger line if you have that and, and see how long you could flow it. But when you get to your large water, and this is taking me back to when I used to look at fire engineering early on and watch these uh, videos on American heat and things and wonder why FDNY was op often operating with the smallest tip. And the if you're operating with a two inch tip on your deck gun, you are not going to muster up a stream to reach this 10th floor that Chicago did because the tank cannot supply the pump at that rate. A lot of uh, I'm no Dennis Laguerre, I'm no Paul Shapiro, <laughs> but a lot of times that tank is applied to the pump by like a three inch line or so. And so uh, what I found with our pumpers is if you're, if you are 
you're limited to about 600 GPM. 500 GPM was more optimal for our rigs. So that was putting on that one and three eighths tip and then we could get our full 80 to 100 PSI of pressure. But a larger tip, you're just gonna dump the water with not as much pressure. So that's something to try. There is a lot of value in starting with the smallest tip so you can operate off tank water. Well, you know what I'm gonna do when I get off this hangout? We're gonna go set fire to a car in the training uh, ground. And we're going to use one of those fire resistant isolator blankets uh, that we, I think, have a place uh, for electric vehicles and parking structures. So um, if I'm not back next, um, next month, I'm either in the burn center or in jail. Okay, one of you guys can take my place. I'm sure that can be done. Um, again, thank Key, Daryl, Brent, Captain Mike, Jimmy, uh, we all bring each other up. Those of you out there that spent the hour with us, we really appreciate it. We appreciate you and we hear you. We want to hear your comments like Captain Mike was saying. So I'm going to go commit a, some <clears throat> minor infractions of NFBA 1403 and um so I'll see everybody next month. In the meantime, all of you out there, God bless you and keep you safe in our most noble of professions.